PGA Nation. We are back and I've missed you. It's been so long. It really hasn't been all that long, but it's felt like so long. And we have some real golf back. The season is on its way. And no better way to kick the season off than at Kapalua in Hawaii. Back with the original crew, Sia Spencer. How are you guys doing tonight? I'll start, Spencer. I'm doing great. So we have 34 weeks straight of this show of golf tournaments. So I think that's really cool. I'll, I want to tell everybody I'm, I'm super excited because not only are we going to have us three, David Bileski is going to be on with us, you know, every so often, but we're going to have some big time guests probably next week as well. So we're going to have the, you know how we do it, right? When we have a fourth person, I tail with the audience. So it's going to be Sia audience and then it's going to be the other three, but we're going to have some massive guests, but honestly, th this show is going to take off this year. I know everybody that's already invested in this show really really loves it because of the format and because we're such dazzling personalities obviously but i'm really excited for the growth of this show because this is a concept that um we gave birth to really thanks to you joel and spencer and um I, i'm i can't wait for for what this ride's going to be in 2023 and you know what while we're on it and while we're giving thanks right i think the biggest thanks for this show and what it's really propelled us is the audience you guys are the best audience in the space, you guys are the most engaged audience, which makes this show unique and special because it's not just us. It's all of us collectively that make it really exciting. Spence, how about you? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. And, you know, I listened to you guys do your show uh, with David Byleski when you went through the recap of last year on it. And uh, there's, there's two things I want to bring up about that show. So the first answer I would like to talk about is I know David said I had the worst pick in Phil Mickelson. First of all, can't have the worst pick on a lineup that won. That's like you immediately, like that doesn't count on that. And <laughs> I think there's a lot of answers with Mickelson there that actually made him a very savvy play. I mean, he was like 0.3% owned. St. Andrews is known as a course where experience comes into play. It didn't work out, but I don't have a problem. Now, I will say this. I actually think that there is a play, and I think I'm the one that made it. That is so by far and away the worst play that was made on the show. I know, Sia, you were saying that, I think it was Jim Herman that you may have taken him that that was the worst play. There was, I believe it was at the Rocket Mortgage with the number one pick in the draft. I took Sung Yul No at 6000 a min price $6,000. Oh, that's right. And, and by the way, like he was 6% owned. Now, I will say, I think some of that is, I think I might have boosted those numbers a little bit. Like I may have had something to do with that. A 6% owned $6,000 golfer and he misses the cut. I mean, I don't know how you can get worse than that. <laughs> well, in your defense, Sung you'll know based on what we had seen going into that tournament, he shouldn't have been 6K. So, like, I get it. Like, he was probably, he probably should have been like 6,600, 6,800, from what I recall. Yeah. And it looked like one of those misprices that DraftKings puts out like one out of every five or six tournaments. So, Spencer, thank you for being uh, humble, but no, it's not the worst pick. It's, it's going to be Jim Herman. I'm going to stick to it. Um, Joel, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited. Uh, we got, I, I got to shout out some people in the chat because these are like OGs, right? We got Ed in the chat, Edward Gale, Brent is in the chat. He's awesome. Zach Jeffers, Ivan, like these are some JC, JC Dickinson is in the chat. Uh, these are some very familiar faces. We're really excited. So really quick, because we're going to do this for 34 weeks. A couple times, we're just going to go over the format. Joel, then I'll kick it back to you. Maybe we'll do the course breakdown and we'll get into this draft finally. At the end of the draft, by the way, we do first round leaders. We do our outrights and stuff like that. But for those of you that might be new to this show, 
all we're doing is drafting teams. We're going to have four draftees. The audience is going to be one of them. And we're just going to draft teams. You can't draft the same guy twice. Obviously, this is only a 39 person field. So it'll be a little touch and go on this one. But I think we'll be able to fill out rosters and the audience. You are responsible. Spoiler alert. You're the fourth pick in this particular draft this week. So you are going to be responsible for back to back picks. Once a golfer gets nominated twice, he becomes on your team. So that is how the process works. If you don't have the pricing in front of you, just pull up the DraftKings app. Boom. Solved your problem. Uh, that's it. That's the that's the whole thing, Joel, right? That's it. It's that simple. And for those of you who do know who have been here before, um, you know, it's if, you, if this is your first time here, you'll pick up quickly. Snake draft like fantasy football, like Sia said. Uh, and, you, and the audience gets their own pick tonight, which makes it super exciting. Audience, you did a great job that closed the year picking quickly. We're going to ask the same of you. You picked last tonight, so you'll get two in a row. Before we dive into the draft, though, we will grace you with the best course breakdown you will get all week from Spencer. Spence, hit us. What are you looking for on the course this week? Yeah, so we have the Kapalua Plantation course, 7,596 yards, par 73 Bermuda Greens. Uh, the course was designed in 1991 by Ben Crenshaw and Bill Kaur but underwent a minor restoration a few years back to increase the difficulty. Unfortunately, as everybody knows who's listening to this show right now, those deviations have yet to enrich the challenge when we look directly at scoring rates over the past few years. As 36 of 40 players finished 10 under par or better last season, that was highlighted by a winning score of 34 under by, I guess, the no longer on the PGA Tour, Cameron Smith, and three golfers eclipsing the 30 under mark. We have slow Bermuda greens and wide open fairways. That's going to be pronounced from the second you step on the grounds. And then the 13% increase in GIR percentage and driving accuracy should point us in the direction of this honestly being nothing more than a birdie shootout. That doesn't imply that the proficiency to highlight a vast array of statistical qualifiers will still not be of the utmost importance. But I believe we're essentially looking at a venue that rewards two main characteristics. So the first can be, can your golfers provide scoring chances from both short and long iron proximities? We see an increase of over 10% combined from those two sections. And then two, how do players handle the Velcro-like green complexes? The second wrinkle of that function will likely be less conducive in model building since I would say the undulation and what this course is as a whole. It's going to be more complicated for everybody in the field, but you know it's hard to say that this is anything more than a birdie shootout at its core. And the ability to score on all of these holes will be of the utmost importance. And uh, in a sense, it makes it more difficult. When we're talking about trying to build lineups, I, I think in a way it also makes it a little bit easier. Like I would say from a DraftKings perspective, and we'll talk about this as picks get made, I think selections get consolidated down in a 39-man field in all the same areas. So I actually think that if you are savvy and try to take a unique approach, this is some of the better chances that you have to win you know, a big GPP tournament. I think from a betting perspective, it probably makes it a little bit worse just because like if you look at the top of the board, the 10 favorites are pretty much the 10 favorites on my sheet, just in a different order. But, you know, that's one of the, the game theory advantages that we can take place on DraftKings is that there are players that are going to go under the radar that probably shouldn't. And I don't think that this is so simple. Like, I don't want to deter picks that get made later on. I, I guess I'll, I'll keep this nameless right now, but there's a lot of players at the top of the board that, you know, we're going to be looking at 40% ownership on them. And you know, some plays are better than others. And I think you're going to have to stick your foot in the ground and say, I'm playing this guy and I'm not playing this guy. And you're going to have to make like a real decision in these spots, but there are ways to get unique. And, and I, I think from a GPP perspective, 
uh, that's what I always like from a tournament. And so I kind of really like this from a GPP uh, aspect this week. Yeah, I agree. I think more than more than most weeks, you know, ownership is going to be a bigger factor this week. Uh, so you're going to have to find somebody that's going to produce that is not, you know, chalky. Uh, and that doesn't mean your whole lineup has to be that way, but you're going to have to have one. And that's really what's going to be at least a differentiator. So uh, we have our work cut out for us for the draft cast because there's only $39 in the field. And there's four people drafting, six people a team. That's 24 people being drafted. So more than half the field is going to be drafted. We should be able to make it work salary-wise, but there's going to be challenges. Uh, and we are up for the test. Before we dive in, as C mentioned, feel free. Go ahead and hit the like button. It does go a long way. Give us each a follow if you don't mind. Um, we'll be dropping more picks on Twitter. We'll be dropping plays, live bets, things like that. So it is useful to give us a follow as we go. Uh, but for now, I'm going to go ahead and pull up the draft board so we can get this thing moving. Um as I pull this draft board up, I will just give a quick reminder. So for those of you who are new to the show this evening, it is Snake Style Like Fantasy Football. Spencer is going to go first. Sia, myself, audience, you're going to go last. You get the double on the snake, so you get two picks in a row before we go back until we each have full rosters. You do need to stay within your DraftKings salary, so that means you can't just pick all the top guys. Right? You have to build the team within the salary cap. Um, those are the rules. Obviously, if you don't budget well enough early in the draft, you're just going to be disqualified. Um, but we are veterans enough to know not to do that. So with further ado, Spencer, you are on the clock. So with the first pick here, I I'm maybe not taking, and by the way, this is the player who's number one on my model. So I want to preface it by saying that, but maybe there would have been a different route that I would have taken here if I thought that I could get this golfer to fall back to me. Uh, there's a player that I like a little bit more uh, than him when we're talking about pure win equity and ownership and, and a couple other factors there. But uh, I'm going to try to at least, I mean, we only have 39 players. We're going to have to maneuver this through to try to make sure. And I, I see people writing in the chat, like if my pick gets swiped, like, I mean, my pick gets swiped this week. I kind of made the joke to you guys already. I'll just take Jason Day at this point. Like if I run out of players, we're perfectly fine. Put Jason Day in my lineup this week. But uh, with the first pick in this draft to start off the 2023 season, I am going to go with a golfer that's 28% owned. I see him at the fourth highest ownership projected player right now. And that is Patrick Cantlay at $9,700. And there's a couple things that I really like about Cantlay this week. So when you look at par five birdie or better percentage, he's first. He's first in overall birdie or better percentage. He's first at birdie percentage at easy courses. Obviously, if you throw all of those things together, when I'm looking at a weighted aspect of it, he's going to be number one in overall scoring there. He's one of the best Bermuda putters in this field of an elite player. He ranks inside my top five of my model in that aspect. And he's also inside the top six when it comes to weighted proximity. My model never necessarily loves the proximity totals from Cantley. That's one of the things that sometimes brings him down. But when I look at from under 100 yards and over 200 yards, I mean, that's a range that he kind of continuously pops for me since two top four finishes in the past. So I'm going to start with Cantlay. I'm going to let you guys make your builds from there. And then we'll see what falls back to me at that point and then try to figure out the lineup from that. But I think that this is the easiest way for me to kind of stay neutral in the construction in a limited field event. 
I, I mean, I love the Patrick Cantley pick. If you, if anybody who's watching or listening to the podcast, which gets released later, uh, our Wind Daily Discord had had a lot of people that were asking about Cantley, and I know Spencer, you responded. You you said you were Team Cantley this week. I said I was Team Cantley this week. Um, I like him quite a bit. I mean, the only reason I don't have him on my outright card is because his odds are too short, and I just don't feel like betting somebody that short. But I, I mean, I absolutely like him. I love him, and I think. Uh, 28% in this field is actually kind of reasonable, as funny as that is. Speaking of, I'm going to take a guy that I believe, Spencer, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is going to be more popular than Patrick Cantlay. So here's the thing. Here's the unique thing about the PGA DraftCast. We don't get to draft anybody that has been drafted. So these teams that you are about to see are going to be automatically unique relative to what you might do on your phone. Even if you were trying to be unique, your lineups aren't going to be as unique as our lineups because a lot of the, the guys that we want are going to have been taken. So therefore, with this format, I, I'll go ahead and just scoop up John Rahm. I know his ownership is going to be high. It very well should be. He does everything right. He's been doing everything everything right. Finishing positions, the, the short game is back. Um, I just think this guy is primed to ca- recapture the number one spot. And so it's all John Rahm for me. And uh, again, I don't mind Spencer, tell us what the ownership is projected to be there because I'm okay to eat that. Cause I know I'm going to be getting different elsewhere. I think I have it a little bit lower. Like when I was talking to Nick on the better golf podcast, I believe he had John Rahm in like the 30, 35% range, which uh, I mean, his numbers may end up being more like suitable to use than mine, but I see him at 28 and a half percent. That makes okay. him the third highest zone player, but it's kind of, as you just talked about, see it like there's only so many ways you can go in this in general. I think the problem, and, and I saw this posed in the, I think Edward asked the question and I'll kind of, one of his things was any recommendations for lineup building with a small field. One of the things that I would at least be aware of, if we're talking about in GPP contests, like massive GPP contests, I think Rom, Cantlay, Xander, Thomas, I think those are going to probably be like the route that people will want to stack two of those players together. I would be aware to at least, like if you're going to try to make builds, if you're going to go that route, you're going to have to get super unique elsewhere. And it might not be the worst idea to pick the one that you like and kind of try to build in a different direction there. So I don't have a problem. I mean, how could you with anybody that's going to be taken from that list? It's just, you have to be aware of how you kind of traverse the minefield from that point. Yep, absolutely. Joel, it's on you, buddy. Great transition point for me to dive in here because my way, I think, and this is a common strategy. I, If you watch this show, I've said this many weeks throughout the year. Um, my way of getting different this week is to fade the top tier, right? And mm-hmm. I think you can go super balanced in this 8K range. A lot of these guys are about 18 to 22%. So you're not, you're going to eliminate the chalkiest guys. And then what it also does is give you, in my opinion, a higher floor in that not having to dip down and trying to uh, hit on one of the like lower 6K guys uh, to round out my roster. So I like taking that route where I can get as many, maybe like four to five of the mid to high 8K range. So with that being said, with my first pick, I'm going to take Victor Hovland. Um, I think this course sets up nicely for him in that he shouldn't, you know, what his Achilles heel is, is is around the green game, which should be neutralized on this course. It shouldn't affect him too much. If he hits a ball striking week like we've seen him have, he makes a few putts. I think he can go out there and win the tournament. 
Yeah. So two things. One is funny comment by Ed. And by the way, audience, uh, you can go ahead and start nominating golfers. You need to nominate two. Ed says this pick will withdraw tomorrow. <laughs> Actually, no, it'll withdraw Thursday. So all you Victor Hovland backers, and I am one of them. So so stay tuned for the outright and first round leader portion at the end of the show. But uh, yeah, Hov- Hovland's in some trouble. I love that pick. And Joel, to your to your balanced build point, you know, if you go down to, let's say, 8,300, I, I think all the win equity is Sung J.M. and above. Listen, if you want to include Jordan Spieth and Hideki Matsuyama in there, that's you can feel free to do that. But I think in terms of the ability to win this tournament, a realistic ability to win this tournament, I think it's Sung, Sung J up. So that lends itself, Joel, to what you're saying, to, to having that balanced build, because, again, it's a singular tournament. The difference between... Victor Hovland, let's say Sam Burns and Cameron Young may not be that much from Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm and Justin Thomas. And as ridiculous as that might sound to people on the other end, just if you follow golf and if you play DFS and if you do the outright thing, a lot of those guys that are in the 8K range, they're winning tournaments too. So it's just something to think about. I think the balance build is, is pretty smart. Okay, we got a lot of nominations in already. Do we have a second by anybody? Oh, Scotty, got, Scotty Scheffler is going to be on team audience. Good job there. Uh, looks like Brent Harris and Zach Jeffers uh, both nominated him. We've got other nominations for other guys, but no seconds for either Aaron Wise or Cameron Young. Nathan, uh, you might be new. I, I haven't. I don't. I don't recall Nathan's name. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hit the like button. Hope you return next. Uh, next. What is it? Tuesday at nine o'clock, and the Tuesday after that at nine o'clock, and the Tuesday after that times. Uh, uh, infinity because that's where we'll be so nathan thank you for coming into the show aaron wise he got he got the second nomination aaron wise is the, is the next one so i got a question uh spencer i'll bounce it off you about aaron wise he seems to be a good course fit here i mean it, it, the accuracy off the tee would be the only issue with him but that's not really an issue on this course he seems like his game is well-rounded enough and that he's kind of emerging. I assume he's going to be relatively popular. My question for you, though, is, is do you like this pick? Are we overplaying our Aaron Wise hand at this point? Because he, he is becoming pretty popular in the industry. I've, well, first of all, congratulations to the audience for being the first one that just absolutely steals my pick in Scotty Scheffler. So we'll start there. Oh, nice. There was no world I ever imagined that that was going to take place. Like that, that would have probably been my first pick if I didn't know he was going to get back to me. But uh, no, as far as the wise answer goes to it, I've kind of compared him to Sam Burns of last season. I, I think that the upside is immense for him. I don't know if this is technically my favorite course for him. Now, I, I will say this. He's probably one of my favorite players in the $7,000 range just because he's so underpriced. Like he should be $8,000 plus, but I, it's hard to look at like, once again, I don't want to influence the draft. And and I know this is a very popular player. Maybe I'll use somebody less popular. Um, let's just say Billy Horschel. If you swapped him with Billy Horschel, I think like Aaron Wise's price and Billy Horschel's price would have been more accurate. And I think Wise could even go up more than that. So uh, I think Nick called him on our show a free square. I don't know if I'd necessarily go that far, but he's kind of more in that range of like you're getting immense value. And you're not paying some of the ownership that you have to pay for a guy like, you know, Sung JM, who's also massively underpriced, but, you know, you're going to be looking at 30%. So I think it's a really savvy start. You kind of get the unique nature to begin with, with Scheffler up top. And then you're not so popular with Aaron Wise. Like, I like that build a lot on the audience's part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that those are two solid picks. All right, Joel, it's back to you for your second pick. After Victor Hoblin withdraws, you're going to need somebody who really <laughs> piles up the points. Who's that going to be? Well, yeah, I, I will agree. It was a wise pick, but for me, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've I made that joke before. It's not original, but um, to, to continue on my trend of balance here, um, my next pick's a little bit risky because of the injury. I think people are scared off because it was the last I saw him, but it was a long time ago. He's a young guy. I think he's healthy. And I'm going to go ahead and take Will Zalatoris. You know, if if someone told you with 100% certainty he was healthy, he wouldn't be under 9K. Like, there's no way he would be priced up more. I think enough time has gone by. You know, this is not a 40-year-old Tiger Woods. He's 26 years old. Um, I think he's probably rested and he's good to go. And with a healthy Zalatoris, I think this price tag is too good for his upside. Yeah, it's this is such an interesting one because I assume his ownership is depressed, Joel, because people fear the injury. What I fear, and by the way, I fear the injury as well. So I'm personally not playing it, but I understand your game theory side in playing him. He should be priced higher. Hopefully the ownership ends up being a little low on him. He got married in December. I'm not saying it's bad to get married, everybody. I'm just saying it was December. It was like freaking three weeks ago. And I just think with the, you know, the rehab involved and maybe kind of sitting out playing some golf and the, just the distraction of, of getting married, it, it just, to me, there's enough, there's enough boxes that aren't checked there for me to stay away from Will Zalatoris. But Spencer, are we right that, that his ownership is probably a little lower than it should be? I see 16%. That's pretty low. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. That's the 17th, um, ranked player in ownership. So, I mean, I guess, I mean, that's correctly to be assumed because kind of like as Joel alluded to with it, even if he was 8,900, if he was 8,900 and healthy, he'd be 50% owned. If we knew for sure he was healthy there. I have my hesitation. And I mean, I mean, (laughs) Joel, what, what are we doing right now with this? This is not how we start the year with, like everybody said that Hovland was going to be the withdraw. (laughs) <laughs> Zalatoris is going to be the withdraw here. <laughs> of all people, like the, you, to be honest with you, and I don't want to, I don't want to make light of this injury because I hope it's not a lingering long-term thing for Will Zalatoris because he's going to be a monster on the tour. But if he withdraws or re injure like you have a weekend to sweat this out, Joel, because everybody's going to blame you. The entire world, including <laughs> Will Zalatoris, they're going to blame you. And honestly, it's completely justified. So. Hold your breath until Sunday evening. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Okay. Let me just phrase it with this. Massive upside, massive risk. If you're willing mm-hmm. to take on that risk, and I think it works in GPP contests, it's a way to get unique. Uh, I don't hate it in that sense, but uh, he's probably one of two players, which at this point, Joel, I hope you go for the second player too, and we just stack it all the way in, on top of this with all these injury risk players. But <laughs> uh, like, if we're looking at potential equity of withdrawing from this tournament, Zalatoris is probably the highest or the second highest of anybody in this tournament. Massive upside, massive risk. It reminds me of also marriages. So. <laughs> Uh, there we have it. I'm, I'm joking. Not about the marriage part, but about the, the upside part with marriages. Okay, so listen, my second pick. So I got John Rom. I got an absolute beast, a score. We're looking for birdies here. It's an easy track. Give me another score here. Probably a little popular. Don't worry. I'm going to have some unpopular guys too. Cameron Young. Talk about it. I mean, I, I listen, yeah. we, we can talk about underpriced if we want. I mean, 8,800, there's a super talented field. I can't necessarily say he's drastically underpriced, but this guy is an absolute animal when he's on. 
And I'm, I'm trying to take the, the birdie makers, right? I'm trying to take the guys who can flat out score. And Cameron Young is one of those guys. So listen, I'm, I'm willing to take a bad day or two when, you know, he can absolutely go off on the other day. So I think Cameron Young has some win equity here, but I, I also think he has played great for three out of four days equity. And that's really what I'm looking for in a no cut event. Give me Cameron Young. So one of my favorite bets this week would be Cameron Young plus 100, unfortunately, over Victor Hovland, Joel. Um, I don't know if Cameron Young, I mean, like, look, you're going to hear it throughout the space the entire week that first timers at this course don't win this tournament. And, and maybe you could make that argument, but Cameron Young is elite and he mm -hmm. has the elite skill set of what you're trying to find. This venue reminds me a little bit of St. Andrews to where he bombed it out there. He had the short iron proximity and he almost won that tournament. Who won both of those tournaments? Cameron Smith. So I think this course is going to fit Cameron Young. I think the upside is massive. Even if we're not talking about a win, we don't necessarily need it. And I think the ownership is low enough at about 20% that you can, you're still unique enough. Like I don't think Rum and Cameron Young is uh, like some start that like, the start that I'm going to make now, because you backed me into a corner because Cameron Young was going to be my pick that I was going to take next. Like, I'm going to be so much more, I'm going to have to find a way to get unique. We'll just put it that way at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, Cameron Young has massive upside. Absolutely. All right, Spencer. Now, we two of your guys, at least, Aaron Wise, well, Scotty Scheffler, and Cameron Young. Those look to be three guys that were possibly going to be on your team. They're gone now. Are you going to leave the show or are you going to make two more picks? <laughs> I'll make two more picks. Uh, you know, if, if we have this happen like every single week, halfway through the year, I may give you a different answer to that. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I do not like, you know what? Let, let me take this other route first and then I'll decide if I want to go the super chalky route with it. But uh, I'm going to need to at least open up some salary somewhere and, one of the best leverage options I have on the board is Adam Scott at $7,600. And there's a few things that Adam Scott brings to the table here that I really like. One, he's the number one player in my model in weight of proximity from under 100 yards and over 200 yards. Two, his driving distance is ranked seventh in this field. So, and I don't think necessarily distance is like the be all end all to this. There's a lot of different ways that we can go about this. Um, I mean, Cameron Smith isn't the longest player on tour and he won the tournament, but I do think that that prerequisite won't hurt Adam Scott. And then three, he's second in my model when looking at really slow putting on Bermuda greens. So, you know, he's going to be able to have the distance to get short iron proximities, which ranks him number one. And he's also going to be able to make the putts because he's number two on slow greens. That's the perfect setup for me of a golfer. That's, you know, 10% owned $7,600. Yeah, he doesn't play enough in America at this point to where we ever know where he is, but I think the upside's more than what the public kind of believes. And, you know, there's something to be said about him not going to live. He still believes he can win on the PGA Tour. That's my answer to that. So um, if he's here, he thinks he can win. I think this is a really good setup for him. All right. So that's one of two. I certainly like the pick. Uh, I'm really hoping that you don't take my guy with your next pick because if you don't, I'm getting the first three guys that I wanted regardless. And that would be really cool. I, I mean, I probably am not. Although, I mean, this is the number one ownership player in the tournament. So if it's the number one ownership player in the tournament, no, then I'd not. be stealing it. Um, I don't love going Cantley and Xander. I think it's a very popular start to a build. I think there's ways I can get unique. Uh, give me Xander 
33% is kind of outrageous. It kind of comes down to me, like I was saying, that if I'm going to take two of those players of the Cantlay, Thomas, Xander, uh, Rom thing, like you're going to have to find a way to get different. I still would have preferred to go Cantlay and Scheffler. I think that's a more unique approach to it. But you guys kind of backed me into a corner there. And um, I, I don't. I think I'm going to be leaving way too much money on the table if I go any other route with it. So give me Xander. All right, fair enough. And for the record, you know, in your bigger tournaments that you enter, if you do leave a lot of money on the table, this would be the week to do that. So just yes. keep that in mind. That's one of the few ways to get in unique in a 39-person field. And when I say leave money on the table, I'm not talking like 600 bucks. Yeah. Leave 2,600 bucks on the table if you want. That's going to be a unique lineup, most likely. Okay, I'm going to take a guy that I don't think a lot of people want to play. And his game has really improved. His putting game has really improved. The ball striking has been there. He's been good off the tee. He's actually won a tournament recently. Good fall swing. And he's in a squeeze play kind of with, he's got Adam Scott above him and he's got Aaron Wise below him. So I think people are going to defer to those more popular names. I think Keegan Bradley still has plenty left in the tank, even in a stacked field like this. You know, he, he gives me some salary relief at 7,500, lets me play around with a, a few more dollars as opposed to going up and grabbing another expensive, potentially popular guy. So I, I really like Keegan Bradley here. I don't think a lot of people are going to be playing him. And, and again, I think he's just hot enough for me to think, okay, well, maybe he can continue this and continue to score for me. Yeah, so the, the top 10 players for me have about a little over 70% of the win equity. And I know, Sia, you, you talked about this a second ago. Uh, once you reach a certain point, some of the win equity is greatly diminished. I would say that that range of Aaron Wise, Keegan Bradley, Adam Scott, Russell Henley, it's probably the last four guys that I think have a real potential to win this tournament. I think once you drop lower than that, you're asking a little bit too much. But Bradley or, Bradley or Wise, depending on which way you want to look at it, are probably the last two players in this field that I would say remain with uh, quality win equity. So I don't have a problem with the play. Nice. I like it. And I think I'm looking at what I think I'm going to do with my next pick. I think I'm getting that guy too. I don't think anybody's drafting that guy. So we'll have to wait and find out. Cause I've got four picks to go until I find out Joel, it's your pick. And then the audience, as soon as he says his pick in the chat, start nominating some golfers who have not been selected. All right. So um, I'm going to go with a guy who is going to be, I mean, we'll see how the season goes, but he ended last year as one of my favorite golfers on tour and i think he's going to be one of my favorite ones this season as well i don't think we know who he is yet that's tom kim right mm -hmm. i think we've yes. seen him have some serious upside um and i think he could end up being one of those elite guys that ends up being in the 9 10k range most weeks as he's pretty consistent as well uh, but he's one of those guys can go either way he starts a, a cold start to the year he might be off our radar but i don't think that's going to happen i think he's going to show up and i think he's going to be one of the next up-and-comers that we're talking about for a long time. So to get another guy who I think has a ton of upside under 9K is really helping me kind of bring my team and that um, medium, I guess, average out build come to light. The ball striking with Tom Kim is, is obnoxiously good. And, and I think the knock on him is that he's a little short and this is a longer course, but we've seen, quote, shorter golfers succeed here as well. The ball striking, let's, let's talk about, let's say, maybe the last six measured events. 6.11, 7.10. This ball striking, of course, combines off the tee and approach. Uh, 2.11, 8, 
over eight strokes, five strokes, over seven strokes. And he can get red hot with the putter. He can be bad with the putter too, but more often than not, he's positive with the putter. The around the green game has been spotty lately, but that shouldn't be, and by spotty, I, I, not really, just compared to everything else. It's the only part where you see some red. And uh, he's been pretty good there lately, but that shouldn't affect him on this particular course. So um, if you're willing to overlook the, the lack of length, which I certainly am, pretty much across the board, even though obviously I'm favoring the longer hitters. I mean, Tom Kim, the potential there is insane, in my opinion, not just for this tournament, but Joel, to your point in general. You know, it's funny, Joel, or to both of you guys, like, cause you guys both kind of mentioned it. I don't know how many people can go on shows and say, well, Tom Kim is not a good course fit here. I don't know if it even matters at this point. He wins everywhere in the world and he's playing at courses that people wouldn't expect him to perform at. And I don't think distance is necessarily like such a prerequisite here that like, right. that's the only thing that you can have to find success. So um, like, look, I think there's a reason why a lot of books have him at 20 to one or less to win this tournament. Uh, it's a, in my mind, it's still a boom or bust play because there's always regression that can take place. But the ceiling is that he is actually the best golfer in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's fair. You, 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 can't, you can't look at that statement or hear that statement and be like, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Because what we're looking at is trajectory, right? Yeah. We don't have a big sample size for Tom Kim, but we can see his trajectory and it's like, oh my God, this guy's like winning all, all kinds of tur tournaments on all kinds of different courses. His ball, like the, the measurables, the metrics are actually back. It's not like he's getting lucky with the putter here and there and, and, and just the ball striking has been weak or the fields have been weak. Like he's doing everything. Yeah. Um, speaking of doing everything, it uh, looks like we have a couple nominations here and it might be, we might have both. Is it possible that the audience just nominated both JTs? I know Justin Thomas is in for the audience, but it looks like Brent Harris has also nominated JT Postman, and it looks like Zach Jeffers also nominated JT Postman. So do we have – yeah, I think that's it. I, all right. Uh, Justin Timberlake has also been nominated, which is pretty cool. Can we put Timberlake in there? He costs a billion, though. He costs infinity. He's that good. Uh, all right. A anybody have any thoughts there? I mean, Justin Thomas, I, I don't think we need to – share too much on that other than Joel let me ask you is he a guy if you were doing a primary like build like one lineup and it was in a whatever you know you're like a millionaire because of these draft casts like what in a big entry is Justin Thomas like in that lineup or is he is he first out in that lineup or is it has Justin Thomas sort of not made it in in your thought process here listen there's a lot of reasons to like Justin Thomas this week one he's just a great golfer number one first and foremost two you know, he's done really well at these events. And his last four tries, he won it once, third, twice, tied for fifth. Um, we've seen him play well recently. There's a lot of good things to like about him. Mm -hmm. Where I come off Justin Thomas is just really the 30% ownership, right, which is pretty high. I mean, you kind of got to pick and choose. Right? You don't want to pick two or three guys at 30%. So if you go for one of Canley or Rom, uh, it's hard to match him up. So He's totally like in play for me. If you were going to go with one of those upper tier guys, I think, you know, three or four of them are about the same tier and he's one of them. But with my strategy, like I said, of being more medium and, and, and balanced, uh, he's probably not going to make too many. Of them. And Joel, before we get to your pick, Spencer, I want to ask you about JT Poston because he's not on my radar, but that doesn't make him a bad pick. I just, I just have overlooked JT Poston, but I, I have to point out something from Ed because this is an astute comment. Justin Thomas also got married. Uh, it was in November. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. There's only 39 golfers. As far as I know, four of them got married within the last five weeks. Justin Thomas, 
Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, and Sung J.M. Take that for what it's worth. Do they all crash and burn? Do they all have great success? Are they in that honeymoon phase of, of just the whatever, whatever glow you get after a, a wedding? I don't know. Am I fading all four? Yes. Just throwing that out there. Throwing it out. I'm throwing it out there. Joel, it's your pick. But Spencer, real quick on JT Poston, anywhere near your player pool. Yes. And I want to say this audience lineup in general, this is like chef's kiss. Like, I really like this. I don't know if Justin Thomas would like when you asked Joel that question, I don't know if he would be if I was making one lineup, but if he's not, he would be damn close to that. Like, I love that idea of going Scheffler and Thomas or Scheffler and Cantlay or Scheffler and, and Mm -hmm. you know, whoever in that range. But as far as JT Poston goes, when you get to the $6,000 section, you always want to try to find at least areas where there's high-end metrics that come into play. Poston is sixth in my model at the recalculated par four ranges. That's going to be 60% of the holes this week. And he's fifth on slow Bermuda greens putting. I, I think those are two things that if you told me, you know, Poston comes in, I don't know, 12th place. That's a really realistic outcome for me. So I really like what the audience has done to start with those first four picks. Nice. All right, Joel, it's on you, buddy. All right. I'm going to go ahead here and I'm going to take, I'm going to take Sam Burns. Um, I think Sam Burns is the type of guy where his ball striking and his putting has a hot enough combination where any week, any tournament, he can compete. And he's another one of these guys in this 8K range that, you know, does have that upside to win the tournament uh, that I can remain this balanced approach with. You know, the, you're also looking at a Sam Burns who's in what I'm looking at is about 15 to 16% ownership, which in this field, Brad is really good. So for all those reasons, it really helps me create this, this ideal kind of low ownership balance lineup that I'm looking for. All right. I like the pick. I certainly like the upside there. Um, I'll go ahead and go here. I'm going to take somebody that's going to free up some cash for me. This is kind of like a little, remember the secret weapon that I used to do and it, which I just haven't done. I haven't put it in discord, but thankfully we have guys like Steven that put their secret weapons in discord. The, the secret weapons were sort of low end plays, sub seven K plays that, um, we thought would make the cut and make an impact on Saturday and Sunday. And I had like a tremendous record with that, but it just kind of like start, started to tail off a little bit. I'm going to go with somebody in the 6K range, but it's not a super popular guy. I mean, I think there's one or two names in the 6K range that people will want to gravitate to because at this point in their careers, they're kind of big names. I'm going to go with more of a veteran presence that really got hot over the summer with the ball striking specifically and then just really tailed off. It's Scott Stallings at 6,600. I'm trying to make a, a different lineup. I'm trying to, you know, change things up a little bit. I'll probably, with one of my last two picks, I'll probably take some chalk. I typically take a stand on a low-end guy. Not, not every tournament, but in this tournament, I'm going to have to, and I'm going to want to, to make my lineup different. And the low-end guy I'm taking a stand on this week is Scott Stallings. I, I think that if nothing else with Scott Stallings, you create leverage because he is not one of the most popular $6,000 players, as you just said. Right. And that's honestly, that, that's what I'm looking for. Right? I know the upside is there with Scott Stallings. Not, not to like top five this thing or anything, but he, he show, he's shown for stretches of his career, not just last summer, where he can get hot. And when he gets hot, it's usually for you know, consecutive weeks at a time. And I, I, am I banking on that? No. But in a 39-person field, do I want somebody that's really not popular, that's going to make my lineup different and give me salary relief at the same time? That, that's what I'm looking for. And, and Scott Stallings fits, checks all those boxes. Yeah, and just... I like- 
I like Scott's on on a quick story. I don't know if you guys saw on uh, on Instagram this week. There's a funny story going yes. on about Scott Sollies where there's a guy that lives in his town that is literally has the same name and got invited to play the Masters with all the credentials and everything you would need to show up to the Masters, but he's not the PGA Tour Scott Sollies. If that had happened to me, you know good and darn well I'm showing up. <laughs> of course, with the credentials, and I'm ready to play. But he was nice enough to let Scott, the real Scott Sollings, know and and tell him he would he would return all the things to. Amazing story, amazing. Really funny, Spencer. You got back to back picks, fourth and fifth round. Where are we at? So in the seven thousand dollars section, like, look, I, I would strongly consider, or I I did strongly consider Corey Connors in the spot. Um, I would prefer to have Aaron Wise if I had my full choice of players that I could pick from here. First of all, he's cheaper, and I don't think there's a massive difference when we're looking at it and between the two players, so I'm going to pivot to the other guy. But I'm going to take Russell Henley at 7,700 and hope that some of those proximity numbers from the short distance can actually like pay off for him. He's fifth in my model from within 100 yards. He's fourth from 100 to 125. Uh, when I run those things together, I mean, it puts him just outside of where I think it puts him second in my model when I combine both of those two ranges and he's third in driving accuracy. And I know like we've gone back and forth on, is this for distance? Is this for accuracy? Like it's obviously not for accuracy, but you can, the one change that comes into play here is if you can find me an accuracy player, who's also good with their short iron proximity, there's a lot of rollout on this course. So if Russell Henley is creating rollout that he normally doesn't get, and then he has those short irons in that we know that was what makes him successful but he doesn't actually have to pull driver out of the bag to sometimes get as much distance as he normally does. And even when he does pull driver out, it's just much more wide open. I, I think Henley has real potential to top 10 this tournament. So I'm going to take him first at 7,700 and then uh, to really make my lineup unique. And this is the biggest leverage play that I have on the entire board. Uh, Adam Scott is somewhat close. There's really nobody that much closer though than uh, this guy, like for perspective, when I run it against rank, uh, Adam Scott is like 16 spots off. I think the next guy was like 10 or 11 spots off. And this player is 20 off of what like projected ownership should have been to what my model thinks it should have been. So uh, I'm going to take Matthew Fitzpatrick at 9,100. I know that's a very unique pick this week. You no, you took my pick, Spencer. That's who I was taking next. So somebody finally took my pick. Carry on. Sorry. The, the thing I like about Fitzpatrick is when you look at this and, and I'm sure see it, you, this is part of your reason also with it, you think of Matthew Fitzpatrick and you think of difficult scoring venues. And, and when that continues to take place, like you can just run up the ownership from him all the way to the top. He's 10.9%. The next lowest above him is Scott the Scheffler at 18%. The next lowest above that would be Tony Finau at 26.9%. Fitzpatrick is in his own range of players here. And, and that's one of the routes I was hoping to go is I was hoping it could be Cantlay, Scheffler, you know, Fitzpatrick potentially, because all of a sudden there, you have the two contrarian picks at the top mixed in with a guy like Cantlay, who has some of the best win equity that I have in the field. I think that goes like to show like you can mix and match your, your picks here. And like, there's a lot of different routes to make it work, but um, Fitzpatrick is being slept on. He's top five in my model and par five scoring. I wouldn't exclude that factor when you're looking at things. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he provides a better finish than I think the general public believes that he might put together this week. 
Yeah, I was I was dead set on going uh, Matt Fitzpatrick with my next pick to continue to make my lineup different. And so now, because of who you drafted, uh, I'm going to have to take a chalky guy. And I'll, you know, again, I've gotten different a couple places with Keegan and Scott Stallings. I'm likely going to get pretty different with my last pick. I won't have a ton of money with my last pick, but I'll still end up in the the 7K range. A Tony Finau hasn't been picked yet, right? No. What's really interesting about that is I didn't want to pick Tony Finau this week. I got it. I, you know, sometimes you just, you're just looking at intuition and, and as good as Tony Finau has been at the back end of the season and even in the fall swing, I, I, I just, and by the way, his experience here isn't very good. It's not, it's not great here, but I, I'm not really going to factor in that too much because I think he's a different player now, but I have, I've got this feeling about Tony Finau that I'll start watching Thursday and it's cool. Cause we get like primetime golf, which is really cool. Cause it's in Hawaii. I just have a feeling he's going to like, be terrible on the first day. And I'm just going to be really, really be regretting it. I tend to play Tony Finau at the wrong time, but the upside and scoring potential is obviously there. The fact that he at 9,300 hasn't been taken yet. I mean, I get it because he's kind of chalky and all that stuff, but I've got enough uniqueness in my lineup to, I think, justify playing Tony Finau. And I'm just going to go and take him off the board. I think Sia, you could make a very strong argument based off of all those reasons that if we're looking at the $9,000 golfers, and I'm going to exclude Cantley here just because he's number one in my model, I think you could make a strong argument that Finau should be the second name off that list. And that's even including over guys that I like and even took in Xander and a Justin Thomas. You know, I, I've always been a very big proponent of Finau. I, I think his upside is immense. It's always come down to that lack of win equity that he provided. And if things have turned around for him, which... I think we can all say at this point, it looks like they maybe have. It's that like, it's that same situation in a different extent of what we're talking about with Tom Kim to where this upside around Fino might actually be greater than what we anticipated it being. And what if Fino is this year's Scotty Scheffler? What if he rises up to number one in the world? What if he wins a major? Like all of those things are in play. And if we believe all those things are in play, 9,300 is still too cheap for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, totally agree. And, and totally by the way, agree. Sia, I wasn't planning on picking Finau this week either. My mentality has changed over the last 24 hours. I think he's back in my player pool, and I think he's probably one of the stronger picks that can be made. All right, fair enough. I like Very how my team is shaping out. Joel, um, a- any thoughts on Finau, and what's your next pick? I, I, I agree with everything you both said in that, you know, I think we're getting a guy who found something who's on the rise. Um, again, at 9,300, I think the price is fair. Um, I like Finau this week, and I like Finau this year. I think he'll, he's a guy who I'll be going back to uh, in, in tournaments in the coming months as well. Um, for me here, I'm, I'm glad he fell to me. Uh, I actually did change my mind last minute. I'm pivoting to Sung Jae Um Again, back on my team. Now, he is the chalkiest of the, of the guys that I drafted here in, in my mid-8K range. Um, but we saw Sung JN last year on an absolute tear and not just, you know, performing in these tournaments, but his ball striking was just flawless. Um, and I think if he can regain some of that, that he had at the end of the year, he makes a few putts. He's just a better golfer than the price tag, the way he's been playing. And so if that form is still there, um, I love him at this price. Sung Jay should be, I, I don't know, Joel, 9,300, 9,500. And, um, I worry about the ownership. The exact build that you have is the way that I like playing Sung JM. You have four guys mixed with him that are sub 20%. 
now mix with a Sung JM that's more popular. Like that's a super unique lineup that I don't think anybody's going to have. And and that is more of like where if you show me this lineup, whether I like Hovland or, or I don't or whatever, if we're like we're nitpicking here between players. This is the route that I think is the optimal way. And this is like the route that wins a GPP lineup if you still want to play Sung JM. Thank you. It is indeed. And the audience coming through again, they already have one of two picks. It looks like Zach and Brent have a, have agreed on Seamus Power. It looks like Sungjae, Joel, you stole him from the audience. But we have Seamus Power as one of the picks. They have, how much do they have left? Does that say 9,400, Joel? Uh, 8,400. 8,400. Oh, okay. So Spieth has been nominated. Uh, I don't think he's gotten a second one, but he certainly would qualify if somebody wants to give him a second. Um, but before we hear that, Seamus Power was a guy I was actually looking at drafting with my last pick. I wasn't sure yet, though. Uh, Joel, uh, actually, Spencer, let me go to you on Seamus Power. I like Seamus. I don't love the 20% ownership that I see for him. Uh, that is, I like when I started this week and he wasn't so highly uh, ownership rated on my model. I planned on having a lot of Seamus. Like as this has like trickled up over the last 24 hours, I've become more bearish on that stance, but you know, I think there is an optimal way that they can end their lineup here, the audience, to where I love this lineup, even with Seamus being included. So I'm curious to see if they end up going that route. Okay. Well, the route they've gone is with Jordan Spieth. That that would be the pick. I, I love their lineup. Like, I, I know I just said this about Joel's, but it's like the same answer to the audience. Is like, you have high boom or bust plays with a guy like Jordan Spieth. You have some contrarian nature plays at the top with Scotty Scheffler. Yes, you have popularity with Seamus Power, but you have a mixed bag of everything and you have a good mixed bag of everything. Like they don't have a player. I mean, I guess other than JT Poston, but I also think JT Poston is one of the best values in the $6,000 range. They don't have a player that's like outside the top half of my golfers and all of them have immense upside. So uh, I think Spieth was a very proper way for them to end it. Yeah, solid pick, certainly. Uh, Joel, you've got one pick to go. And seven and change to make it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with the way my draft went. I'm going to finish this off with KH Lee. Um, I just Damn. think this is, this is a good tournament for him because of the no-cut nature. You get four days. He is able to get some birdies and score. So, you know, even if he does finish toward the end, if he gets a lot of bogeys and birdies, his scoring might be enough that gets it. My rest of my lineup is on point that will get me there. So um, for a value play, KH Lee is one of the guys that I'm looking to target. So he was in consideration. I, I noticed John Golden had uh, mentioned uh, K.H. Lee as well. Uh, I like how he can get hot, by the way. He has some rounds that are just really, really eye-popping. So certainly uh, understand that pick. So I was debating between K.H. Lee. Um, Seamus Power was a guy. So now I'm down to two guys that I'm debating. It's, and both of them annoy me for different reasons. Corey Connors is one of them. I have just enough money to afford Corey Connors. Uh, the thing that annoys me about Corey Connors is, is I just feel like people like him too much. I feel like he's just a bit overrated. If we're going to, if we're going to build a top overrated team, I think Corey Connors is somewhere in that top three or top five. So I wonder what his ownership is as, as I'm not looking at it. But the other guy I'm considering, and I'm, I'm annoyed about him too, only because I'm starting to think he's a little overrated too, even though I think he's a really good golfer. And it's Sahith. 
I, like everybody loves Sahith, and this seems to be a good track for Sahith. He can get messy a little bit. I mean, both with his approach and off the tee play, he can just get messy in general, but this seems to be like a good track for him where he could have some eye-popping, scoring, birdie days himself. So, oh, I hadn't picked Sahith yet. I was actually debating between the two, but perhaps you're making my decision for me. I, I, you know, I, I do want to leave money on the table, but you know, I don't know. I, okay, let me ask you this. Who has a higher ownership percentage, Sahith Tagala or Corey Connors? I'm taking the guy with the lesser ownership. Well, you're going to be taking the guy that you don't think is very good. It's very close. Uh, Tagala is 13%. Connors is 11.4%. All right, give me Corey Connors. Corey Connors is a guy, I mean, listen, there's not a lot to not like about Corey Connors. The ball striking has been phenomenal. Uh, putter up and down around the green came, game, not great, but shouldn't be a huge issue here. I spend all my money. Hopefully the lineup's unique enough. If I had taken Sahith, I would have had 500 left. It makes my lineup a little bit more unique. So that probably was the smarter play, even contrasting the 11 to 13%. But I'm okay taking Corey Connors. But if you subbed out Corey Connors, and actually, can I change my mind? Can I put in Sahith? And it's it, it only, but, but it's only if Spencer, you weren't taking one of those guys. The only reason I do that is because I think even though Sahith's ownership percentage is a touch higher, I think my lineup will be a little bit more unique, leaving a little bit of money on the table. Or do you guys think I'm wrong about that? I think we have a Connors gate on our hands. <laughs> Is it a Connors gate? We have a full Connors gate? I will allow it. But well, Joe, Spencer, were you going to take one of those two guys? No, I, I can't afford them. And, and I think that, like, I'm fine with you changing your pick um, up until it's, like, technically, until I've made a pick or until the person that's made a pick after. Like, I, I don't think there's any problem with you switching it. All right. I'll take it. So when this wins like all the money, you guys are all going to be thanking me because you guys will dupe this lineup and put it in your own tournaments. All right. I'll, I'll close this out on this. Um, and by the way, if you were to make me pick Sia, uh, I probably would have taken Connors. I, I yeah. don't like the Gola this week. I'll just throw that out there. Um, Boomer bust, which is, I guess, a good thing in a no cut tournament, but I have a bad feeling that this may become bust. Yeah, fair enough. I'd like to switch my pick back now. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, like I say all of that to now make one of the most shocking selections in the entire draft. And um, it came down to three players for me. And if we're talking boom or bust, I'm not so sure it gets worse than this. And I wanted to take, yes. Yeah. I want to guess. Okay. Well, how much money do you have left? I wasn't uh, 64. So it's, okay. it's one of the 6,400 or less guys. I know who you're taking. Okay. Luke List. Yes. Yes. All right. I have a bad addiction to this. Like this is, <laughs> there's something wrong with me and, and like he might come in dead last place. So l let me, let me walk through my, my thought process here. One, it came down to Adam Svensson, JJ Spawn or Luke List. I considered Trey Mullinex. I don't like the ownership around him. I think I have too much ownership in the build to begin with, even with Fitzpatrick being there. I wanted to try to get unique with it. Look, Svensson, I don't really know what to expect from him. He grades the best in my model of those three other choices. I think JJ Spawn brings the best form into this tournament. But if like I kind of mentioned this with JT Poston, and it's the same thing applies with Luke List, just in a different sense. Give me a player in the $6,000 range that at least has a massive part of their game that can be instrumental in making a run at this tournament. Like Poston is going to be good with his putting on Bermuda. Now Lucas is going to be one of the worst players on tour in any tournament with his putting, 
but he's third in my model off the tee. I think that that can play for him. And the one thing that continues to catch my eye, so out of 39 players, he's 39 of 39 in strokes game putting. No shock there. We would all expect that to be the case. On slow putting, so on only slow putting on Bermuda, he's 26. That's not good. For Luke List, that's like number one in the world. Yes, that's true. I'm going to take a shot there. He's 5% owned. It's boom or bust. Um, I think that I'm able to do that with this lineup. And I think I wouldn't be shocked if he provides a big day on one of those four rounds. And if you can tell me that like he has the potential to get to eight, nine under par, you know, like those points are going to add up in a no cut event. Yeah, he, it, he might, he might also come in dead last place. So uh, this is unrelated, but if he continues on this trajectory, Luke list is the new Kyle Stanley. Yeah. Like this is bad. This is, this is like, there's like a mental issue when he gets on the greens bat and I hope he recovers. Maybe it's this tournament. Probably not Spencer, but maybe <laughs> it's, it's probably not this tournament. Um, the one thing I will say, not that this is some like lengthy course, but if he's able to use his distance here, which I do think there are certain players, like even if we're not saying it's a distance course, Cameron Young, Luke List, you know, we'll throw him into this mix. These are guys that can at least take advantage of that aspect of their game. And uh, we saw him win the farmer's insurance, a lengthy course where he was able to use the driver. Like maybe he does that. And I, like the one difference is, I don't know if he can be good enough with the putter that he gets to 33 under par, but we also don't need that. Like if he can just be good enough, give me a 16th place finish. And I think this lineup is still fine. Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. The, and the, the addition of the no-cut event where, you know, he can blow up one day, but he has two good days. And most weeks he might have missed the cut, but this week he still accumulates points. That could uh, that could end up working out. So. That's what I love about Jordan Spieth also. That's why I thought it was a savvy pick on the audience's part. Like, I don't really know what to expect from him. And I guess when we get to the first round leader bets, it's going to coincide with what I just said with Spieth there. But those are golfers that have massive potential on any given day. And I'd rather take that route in a no-cut turn. I think the worst thing for anybody out there listening is to play this safe. Like a no-cut tournament should be played, like even in cash game lineups, you should be playing a no-cut tournament more as like a GPP build. You have mm. to shoot it out there in that sense with it. So, uh, I mean, ownership, that's obviously going to be more fine in a cash game build, but like try not to get stuck on the golfers that have minimal or reduced win equity compared to the players that they're priced around. Yeah, and I think what Spencer's really trying to say is my team is the best team and I'm going to win and I'm going to score the most points. Which I, I, I'm going to take the audience. Agree. I think well, the audience wins this week. Well, yeah. hold on. Audience, you let us know. I mean, obviously you guys like your team, but feel free to, while you're on Twitter, giving us a follow as you were and hitting the like button, feel free to let us know which team you like the most. Who do you think is going to win? Give us the receipts because on Sunday we'll be cashing them in. We'll see who actually does it. Uh, but we're not done yet for tonight. We are running low on time, so we'll move a little quickly. But we still, of course, have our outright tickets and first-round leaders, what really pays the bills. Um, we'll start with the outrights, of course. Spence, how about you? Who do you like in the outright market this week? I just want to very quickly preface this. I know we're short on time. I decided, like, I think that if, like, kind of like we all talked about, I think if you go too far down the board, you're losing all the win equity. I'd rather not have a ticket that looks good at the end of the week on closing line value, but you end up not winning. I think that there's only about 15, 16 names that can win this. I reduced my uh, win amount from eight units to five to go super aggressive on this card that I built. 
Uh, so it's 0.5 units to win five on Scotty Scheffler at 10 to one. And it's 0.41 or 0.42 to win like 5.04 on Patrick Cantlay at 12 to one. And I am calling it a day and I'm going to have my less than a unit there. And, you know, I think one of those big names probably wins this golf tournament. Yeah, that's fair. Um, That's a good way to approach it, frankly. Yeah, I I would live around. I went for the furthest down value I could find where I actually thought had some win equity. And there's two guys at the same odds I like. It's Tom Kim and Will Zalatoris, both at 25 to 1. How about you, see yep. Who do you got in the outright market? Yeah, I have a few shorter shots here. Two, I have a lot of – well, one I really have some faith in, and the other two, it, it's a little iffy. But I got Victor Hovland at plus 1,800, Cameron Young at plus 1,800, Matt Fitzpatrick at plus 2,000. I mean, listen, admittedly, Cameron Young, Matt Fitzpatrick, I don't believe either of them have played here. Um, so maybe that's a slight hindrance. But I don't think that's as big of a deal as, as maybe some people are making. I love Victor Hovland in general. I know he hasn't been good here. But again, I just think Victor Hovland is, is going to be a guy we'll be talking about as a top five guy in the next couple of years. So Hovland, Cameron Young, Matt Fitzpatrick. I love it. I love it. But as always, here is where we make our real money. Last year, we hit 150% of first round leaders. That's every tournament we Yes, I think they just cut him off because yeah. <laughs> Vegas has shut us down. Yeah, because that's the thing. That's the thing. We can't get, they're not, Joel, you better hurry because they're not going to let us give out our first round leaders. No, uh, that's been happening. Uh, the guys over at Vegas have been tapping into my computer and cutting it off for, from giving out the first round leader picks. Bastards. You can't blame them, right? You know, those casinos that they make in Vegas aren't cheap. They can't keep building those uh, things if we keep giving out these free plays. So let's get them out quickly before we get thrown out of here. Spence, why don't you kick us off? you like in the first round leader market. I took two players this week. They're both going to be to win a little bit less than three units. I took Scotty Scheffler at 15 to one, no matter how I shake things. I continue to think that he is sitting on a really big round at some point if he can just make a couple putts. And then I took Jordan Spieth at 22 to one. That is pretty much available at any book that you can find. I love it. I love it. I got three plays for us. Uh, my long shots are going to be Max Homa, 28 to one. A guy who hasn't been mentioned on our show yet today, Hideki Matsuyama at 30 to one. And uh, my favorite is going to be Justin Thomas at 16 to one. I very much considered all three of those. Um, I had Matsuyama originally removed him. I just didn't want that much exposure, but that would probably be like third, fourth, and fifth for me with the way that I built my card. And for the record, Joel, before I give my picks out, everybody knows that David Bileski is part of this PGA team, among others, of course, but he'll definitely be dropping. I know he's on vacation, I think till tomorrow morning, maybe, but he'll be dropping his plays, uh, whether it's the outrights, I mean, and his DFS plays, you know, he'll be dropping those in, in the Wind Daily Sports Discord. So make sure you're, you're tapped into that. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Wind Daily, um, we cover all the sports, PGA, NFL, MLB, NBA, um, the, the, the motor sports, MMA, you name it. Golf, obviously, we cover it. So I believe the current deal, I think you get one week for free by, by just typing in, um, I can't remember what the, what the promo code is, but it's on the site. But uh, it's, it's $5.99 a week to join Win Daily, like long-term is what I'm saying. So it's, it's a really, really good deal considering how much information you get. So for those of you that are listening that you're not part of the Win Daily Sports team, check it out. I know you do get that one week free, so you can just kind of check it out and see if you like it. But again, we cover all of the sports and NFL playoffs are coming around, but MLB is going to pick up obviously in a few months, but the NHL is happening, the NBA is happening, all those like kind of like last minute moves. 
they're all kind of housed in our Win Daily Discord in terms of how to play those. So something to consider there. Oh, the promo code. Uh, thank you, Win Daily uh, Magic. Promo code is Win Big. That's going to get you a free week, at, uh, one free week, and then it's going to be five dollars and ninety nine cents per week. Again, measure that up against any other outlet. Um, you're probably getting a pretty great deal there. Okay, my first round leaders. But again, Win Daily Discord for David Bileski's picks. Uh, I've got three here. It's only a 39-person field, so three is probably too many. But one of them is a long shot. Keegan Bradley, plus 4,000. Give it a shot. His, by the way, his outright is plus 5,500 if you just feel, really feel like gambling. I don't recommend it. Just pointing it out. Keegan Bradley, plus 4,000. Xander Shoffley, plus 1,600. And your easy button play. I don't know if you have the easy button with you. Do you, Joel? No. Damn. <laughs> uh, he teased us with the whole close-up. Okay, so the easy button play of the century tournament of champions your first round leader at the close of thursday which might be our friday i don't know when the tournament ends it's in hawaii whatever the point is you can invest all of your money all your christmas money all the money that everybody gave you because that's i'm sure how people gifted you things this year put it all on this guy it's victor hovland plus 2200 he will be your first round leader at the 2023 century tournament of champions your welcome world it's that easy it is so that easy good luck this week super excited to get this season off to a hot start we will uh see you again next week but in the meantime check us out on twitter give us a follow smash the like button and see is there anything else we might be forgetting sports 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 <laughs>